Hello, and welcome back to the Socially Distanced Podcast, uh, episode 37, which is insane. Uh, this is the, uh, I don't know, sixth, fourth, fifth episode in our Mando and Music series where we're, we are reviewing uh, Disney Plus's The Mandalorian, uh, the, maybe the best show on television, um, if that's a phrase that people use anymore. It's like on streaming, so I don't even know if it's on television. Regardless, uh, I'm the managing editor of thepopbreak.com, Al Manorino, and with me, as always, uh, coming at you live from Corvus, Corvas, Corvas is the planet, I believe. Corvas. Corvas, Croissant. Uh, oh, cor- no, you don't want to miss Coruscant and Corvus. It's uh, editor-in-chief Bill Botkin. Bill, what's going on? Hey, what's up? Yeah, after kicking myself right in the old Corvass for screwing up the initial recording of this podcast. Hi! Uh, by the time this podcast is done, it will be my birthday uh, and my last year of my 30s. And uh, yeah, it is. Uh, whew, what a day. <laughs> what a day. Can't wait to talk about this episode. But you know who I'm very happy we're being joined by? Ooh. Because I'm trying to. Now we're just like, we already know Bill's shtick from first recording is uh, my fellow ruler of December, whose birthday will be the day this podcast comes out, December 4th. She is the, the no, she's the music editor of thepopbreak.com. She is a baker of beignets. Uh, her name is Kat Manos. What's up, Kat? Hello. How is everybody doing? This is definitely not the second time we've recorded this. This is all very natural, and we're just we're chatting for the first time. So we didn't that's talk good. about you know folksy woodsman or anything like that. Um, and speaking of folksy woodsman, we would be remiss not to introduce the uh, engineer of this podcast, who is now recording this and just cursing my very existence like he does every single week. Every time a podcast gets forwarded to him by me, the Chewbacca of this website, Lucas P. Jones, brother, how you doing? Murder. Uh, <laughs> I am doing great. I did not realize that I would be, when I signed on to this, I didn't realize I'd be editing like 30 or 40 episodes. I figured, you know. Knowing than- now. Yeah, I mean, I figured like we'd be socially distanced for like maybe 12 weeks, but you know, that's what happens when we have live in a world full of competent people making decisions, which unfortunately we don't. So we're here on episode 30-ish of socially distanced. Uh, I will say, Bill, that if this podcast does run into your birthday, shots. Well, I mean, I'm 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 halfway through a pint of Jameson, but you know what? I, let's give it up to the kids because you know who's socially distanced and they wear masks without any question. They're really great about it. The children, they are, they are. Uh, I can tell you, my six-year-old is more responsible than most of the adults in America. Speaking of responsible adults, folksy woodsmen, and people who are just like, the fuck am I doing right now? The greatest name of all time, Ken Grandpierre, returns after a Thanksgiving hiatus where he had to go hunt his own turkey like Daniel Day-Lewis in Last of the Mohicans, which has been on a ridiculous amount of times on Stars this week. Um, Ken, welcome back to the podcast. Howdy, everyone. Howdy. Oh, that is there's so much bile and venom behind that. Howdy. (laughs) You're like an evil cowboy. Um, I'll take it. Wouldn't we all? Uh, don't we all want to be Val Kilmer in Tombstone? I think so. I think so. He was great. Um, Al, 
you're hosting the podcast, so I am. You know, I guess. Yes. Um, so this is uh this is our uh well we did uh, nine ten thirteen this is the fifth installment of music and Mando, so brother this is a thick one. Uh, oh, that sounded terrible. Uh, <laughs> so take it away. <laughs> um. So the oh. the section that we're doing right now is the the opening scroll. Correct. Great. Yes. <laughs> This is a fun one, guys, because I actually wrote We're it wrapping out. up season one, guys. This is I know. <laughs> I wrote this shit out. I'm not even going to look at you guys. Okay. On the forest planet of Corvus, just outside the gates leading into the city of Caledon, we see a troop of soldiers retreating, but they aren't running from an army. Not one, but two lightsabers come into frame as Ahsoka Tano is revealed to be what soldiers were trying to fend off. She makes her way through... It confronts Magistrate Morgan Elsbeth and her Lieutenant Lang. Ahsoka tells her she has one day to surrender. The following morning, Mando and the child arrive at Corvus and head into town where he meets Morgan, and she gives him a proposition. Kill the Jedi, and she will award him with a pure Beskar spear. After a brief altercation with Ahsoka, Mando tells her that Bo-Katan sent him and needs help finding the child's people. Ahsoka communicates with the child, and it's revealed that his name is Sweet Little Grogu, uh, and he was raised and trained in a Jedi temple on Coruscant. After the fall of the Republic, he was evacuated and has been suppressing his powers to remain hidden. Ahsoka refuses to train him, and Mando offers up his help in saving the town in exchange for her training. They confront Morgan and Lang, kill them both, and save the town. But we also learn that Morgan's master is none other than Grand Admiral Thrawn. Ahsoka tells Mando that he has become uh, like a father to Grogu, and that he should take the child to the ruins of a Jedi temple on Tython, where Grogu may be able to call out to another Jedi through the Force. Wow. Feels like I was there. That feels uh, like someone's radio uh, degree came through. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you, can, uh, you really should have read the whole thing in a transatlantic accent if you really wanted to impress us. <laughs> what the fuck is a transatlantic accent? I got it. <laughs> Breaking. On the forest, the planet Corvus. There Just it is. The gate. Lucas does a better one, though. <laughs> Just outside the gates, twin lightsabers ignite in the forest. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> Reese from Terminator shows up and he ends up murdering half the town. That's John Mulaney. That's not even Transatlantic. <laughs> That's just full Mulaney. That's... But yeah, guys, uh, what an episode. And we have so, so much to unpack, discuss, and for Lucas specifically, gloat. Um, all right. So going into um, our straight up next segment is, is this the way? Uh, we're just going to give kind of go through the whole episode and just do basically a round robin discussion of uh, one of the best things I've ever watched ever question mark. Um, uh, Bill, I'll start with you. Oh, that's a terrible um, idea. I know I, ha- I have to get you out of the way. Um, Smart. So Smart. what, what did you think of the live action um, debut of Ahsoka Tano um, and just the, the episode, like, I guess, I think you said this last week, the flow of how this episode went, just the, the overall structure of it. I do have a question before to Lucas and Ken. 
did we see Ahsoka in any of the prequels or no? Ooh, I can actually answer this. Wait, real quick. N- no. But her voice is heard in The Rise of Skywalker. Correct, guys? Am I right? Yeah. Yes. Okay, I nailed it. Yeah. So she's oh, one of the Jedi. She's one of the Jedi that call out to Ray at the end in that like montage of all the voices. I know. Which, the, by I'm, the way, I love I love that moment, and everyone's a hater, and they could suck it. That's that's that's, <laughs> like a, that's actually a good moment. Uh, surrounded by a bunch of bad moments. Bad yeah. Moments. Um. Regardless, Bill, answer the question. What was the question? Oh man. It's not good. Uh, no, you, we, we, I asked the question. I completely forgot. Sorry, what did you sorry. What did you think of uh, Ahsoka's debut and uh, just the flow of the episode? So I was actually kind of surprised. My whole thought was going to be that Ahsoka was going to show up at the end of this episode. Like we'd see like, you know, just a, a quick reveal and then we go into the next episode. But then I remembered that the post Thanksgiving episode of season one was when we first met Cara Dune which is a huge part of uh, season one. So I was like, okay, yeah, we're probably going to get a lot. I was, I was a little surprised, but also kind of not that we saw so much of her and her debut. I mean, the first few seconds was just, Oh my sweet baby Jesus. That was just everything. Just the under this, the mise-en-scene as a smart reviewer on the pop called it. Um, might be cat, uh, where it was basically just like, Pitch black, the lightsabers just light her from underneath. You see it, and you're just like, ah, that's perfection. I get it. This is what perfection is. Um, also, Rosario Dawson, uh, someone screen capped a tweet she put out from three years ago where someone said, like, hey, wouldn't this be cool? And she's like, I would love for this to happen. May the force be with you guys. Uh, the flow of the episode, ah, oh, man, I could, oof, so good. We 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 unpacked we it was a great blend of exposition and action, and that's what it was needed. We needed to really dig into the child, Baby Yoda, Grogu. We needed to know about him. We needed to finally uncover something about him, and then just the straight up, you know, samurai video game action we got going forward was the perfect balance on that. Excellent. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll kick it to one of the uh, the Star Wars fanatics, Ken. Um, you've been pretty pumped about this reveal for a while. Was it was it everything you wanted and more? Was was it was it some left to be desired? How did you feel? Uh, yeah, it definitely lived up to what I wanted it to be, and especially because with me being a fan of uh, the Clone Wars series, I was really curious how that was going to intersect here because. Uh, for people listening who might not be familiar, Ahsoka Tano is not just a main character within that series, but over the course of it becomes a very realized character. And she goes through things and evolves in a way where anytime she would appear, certain things would have to be addressed or at least called back to. And what really surprised me within this episode is that there were elements to things that she dealt with in Clone Wars that were addressed. Uh, one of the things is that she actually leaves the Jedi Order and uh, right before Order 66 happens, and there's this element where she feels a very um, very heartfelt kinship to her Jedi beliefs, but also starts to realize that the galaxy is more varied and more it's more gray than the Jedi let on. And I felt that was at play here, where 
even though she's saving a town, she's straight up killing people. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, I can't think of another time we've seen a Jedi be ruthless, but in a righteous way, where as a viewer, you don't really find yourself feeling, you know, dismayed at it. But it is something that you realize, like, this is a different kind of Jedi than I've seen before. And something that I really loved, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in depth later, is that going into this episode, I was really thinking, like, okay, realistically, there's no way Mando's going to just give Baby Yoda to Ahsoka, even though that's the premise we're operating on. So I went into the episode, like, what can happen where Ahsoka's not going to automatically just take Baby Yoda away? And with the reveal that we get in the end, that was for me as both a Star Wars fan and a viewer, where I'm like, oh, never mind. That's why. And I thought it was really cool that they figured out a way to do that where it made sense. And Rosario yeah. is, awesome, is awesome. She's just fantastic. The, uh, these guys seem to know what they're doing. And we've talked about that a lot on these last couple episodes. Um, Kat, um, as a cinephile and as someone who is in a relationship with another cinephile, uh, what did you think of the, um, you know, the, the wet, heavily Western influence on this episode? Um, you know, we've we've talked about that the show is basically like Lone Wolf and Cub and has a lot of Kurosawa references. This felt like and straight up references Kurosawa in the episode. What, what, what did you think of just like, as Bill said, the uh, the mise-en-scene or is what I say, just the aesthetic of this? Uh, uh, I did not say that. I just quoted Kat from the <laughs> On thepopbreak.com, currently. There you go. That's true. Uh, read my review now at thepopbreak.com backslash whatever it is. Um, <laughs> it's way too much. <laughs> it's like probably backslash Mandalorian dash review dash chapter dash 13. Um, plus the yeah, date. Yeah, plus the date. Uh, you know, it was, it was so, so great. It's so funny because... Uh, anyone who knows my boyfriend Cole, he is the type of guy when we go to somebody's house and we're watching something on TV, he secretly steals the remote so he could take off like the motion blurring and he's always fixing everyone's TV settings. And so hard. And <laughs> constantly, constantly Disney Plus like like changes like the settings while we're watching something. So the first five minutes of everything we're watching is him tinkering with the TV it drives me nuts. But when we were watching Yeah, mine this, mine is so dark. Uh, mine's yes. always dark. So thank you. It's not just my TV. Okay. No, no, it's Disney Plus. And as we were watching this, I was like, "This is so dark." I was like, "What is this? That one episode of Game of Thrones that was in the black? What? I thought this was supposed to be a great show." And then I was basically eating my words because you realize, yeah, like, <laughs> oh, uh, they're setting a mood, and it was really just leading up until Rosario Dawson you know, ignited not one, but two lightsabers. And you're like, Oh shit. Um, it's, it's funny you mentioned Kurosawa, like the whole time I'm like, yes, this is like lone samurai. I, I kind of just wanted to like watch her just like murder, like not the whole town. Cause obviously there's like good people there we're protecting, but it, it, I know we've said this every time, but I was like, Oh, I want to, I want to show with her. I just want to follow her and her adventures. And I do have to admit so painful to admit this in front of Ken because Ken has truly been telling me to watch the Clone Wars since like probably 2016. Um, and I keep saying I'm going to do it and I will, I just haven't gotten around to it. But when I got to this episode, I was like, Oh yeah, no, I really want to watch the Clone Wars now. Um, so as someone who only vaguely knew of the importance and relevance of her character, 
Um, I still very much enjoyed the episode despite not having any of like the extended universe background. And I feel like the show handled it very well with giving enough exposition um, while also leaving her a bit mysterious. And yeah, yeah, it was it was lit, as the kids say. Yeah. Um, did I get to everybody? I feel like I missed Ken. Did I miss Ken? Lucas. No, you talked to Ken. Oh, Lucas. I missed Lucas. Sorry. I, I, I honestly mistake them for each other when they get into the Star Wars uh, non sequiturs. So, Lucas, my question for you. I was. They could not be more different, but yeah, they're also the same. They're also the same, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lucas, um, you know, we, we briefly talked about it over the week um, about just, like, could anyone but Filoni have done this episode? No, no way. He he treats the source material with such a care, not just from a storytelling perspective, but from a like a, a, a filmography perspective from from every perspective. It's it's done in a way that's like measured over the course of a season where the tempo is good. It's done over the course of, you know, anchor episodes. You know, you get a couple of standalones and you get a huge anchor episode. The pacing, the sense of the the whole lore, the whole universe is one of the few instances where I feel like, except for the books and the expanded universe, like the universe has actually been treated in a way that not just respects the old, but then goes and introduces the new. I mean, that's perfectly said. I think if, if, which I just found out uh, through our TV editor, Alex Marcus, who wants to be on podcast in two weeks, uh, they're doing, they're launching the gallery, the second season of gallery about Mandalorian season two on Christmas day. If you're a fan of this show and have not watched the gallery, you, you really should because you find out so much about Dave Filoni and his love of star Wars and just his like attention to detail. It's like Dave Filoni is like, we took Ken and and Lucas, we merged (laughs) them together in some sort of glorious super Saiyan type. Yeah, and, thing, and, and it's and just put a cowboy hat on him. Put a cowboy hat on him and bang. Yep. He's yeah, like uh, Gogeta. Yeah, he. Uh, I think we Which talked I, about it. Like, like two, one Dragon Ball. Like Nick Picaro will pop for that. So when, <laughs> that's true. When we we talked about when when Disney Gallery came out because that's how long we've been doing this podcast. We talked about how yeah. <laughs> there is a, a part of Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, when Filoni is talking about. The importance, not just that that the, the prequels are good, but specifically the Phantom Menace and this one scene, how important it is to the entire Star Wars lore that makes you rethink your childhood watching those movies and say, what, what, really? I didn't, what? Like, that's, it's insane. And that's how passionate he is about Star Wars. So... Um, yeah, definitely check that out. Um, but also, Dave Filoni looks like most McCarthy's husband, Ben Falcon. Yes, hundred percent. It's not even a con. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Every time I see him, I'm just like, "You were awesome when you had that joke in Spy," and I'm like, "Wrong guy." Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he was great in that one scene in Bridesmaids too. <laughs> he was in multiple scenes in Bridesmaids. Okay, he's the the plane scene specifically. I was gonna Any, say I only remember the plane. I only remember the plane scene. Yeah. Um, but let's let's get into the the thick of it. So, I'll, I'll, like I said, a lot happens in this episode. We'll save the entire Baby Yoda slash Grogu slash the Child section for later. Um, I just want to get into 
you know, a little more about Ahsoka and just, uh, you know, what happens when you introduce a legacy Star Wars character into a show that already has a central character with, uh, you know, uh, Din Djarin or whatever his name is. But we'll just well, continue. That's correct. That is his name. I know, but we're going to continue to call him Mando because that's the way to say it. Um, but yeah, just um, how did you feel about, like, Ahsoka's introduction and the interaction between her and Mando? And did you see any kind of power shift, power dynamic in, in the... Like, I personally, when I was watching the show, felt that as soon as she appeared on screen, that's all I wanted to see. Not just because I haven't seen her before, but because she was so captivating and Rosario Dawson is a historically great actress. Um, when Mando comes on the screen, um, I kind of got that, like, Avengers feel. Like, watching Infinity War when um, it cuts to Guardians, right? Like, it just kind of had that feeling, and I guess, you know, we are in the Marvel world, but... Um, I know it's a tangent in itself, but I just felt that um, her presence immediate, like you felt it, and then you did not want to take your eyes off her. Did that kind of damage the show at all if this is the, the last we see of her for a little bit? So I'll start with Ken on that one. No, I don't think it does. I do know exactly what you mean because I actually like to call it Harry Potter syndrome where I love the Harry Potter series. But one of the big things about it, especially if you read the books, is that you have Harry Potter as your main character, and all he does over the course of these books is interact with characters who are way more interesting than him. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's insane. It's yeah. insane. And then you watch Very the movies, true. and you're just like, this is the main character. This fucking guy. Jesus. So, like, Ahsoka's a prime example of that, where, like, I mean, the second, like, you see her and Mando interact, it's almost kind of stark, where it's like, she's wearing no armor, and here's like this armor dude, and it's like, well, you're kind of boring now. But no, I think it's interesting that we might not see her for a while. And what I'm really curious to see going forward is if there's elements of consequence that happens from with uh, Din and uh, Baby Yoda as they go on with this interaction with Ahsoka. That's like where I feel this show is at its best when there's elements of consequence that carries over into future episodes. And I'm curious where that's going to go, especially with this new kind of journey that they're on in regards to going to this planet Typhon and the seeing stone thing. And it's funny. I'm just going to put a disclaimer that as much as a star Wars fan, am I, as I am, there are times where sometimes when they get like in the deep end of like Jedi force stuff where I kind of rolled my eyes a bit. Like, when she said that part, I was kind of like, oh, Jesus, a stone. Really? There's a stone? There's a temple? It's a sorcerer's stone. Come on. <laughs> nice one. Hey, sometimes black squirrel finds a nut. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, um, no, I, I totally agree there. Um, and, and I feel that knowing that she has a very defined past, and also we learn that she is on the hunt for... Uh, the live-action version of uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Uh, I always mess that up. So it kind of makes Mando look a little uninteresting in the in the fact that he is working off this mission of getting um, Baby Yoda to his people to learn, you know, the Jedi, right? What's his endgame here? And we're learning a lot more about uh, people with specific motives. We have... Bo-Katan wants to get, 
you basically get re-control of the darks uh, the dark saber and mandalore um obviously grand moff tarkin has his agenda we now know ahsoka has her agenda it's Moff Gideon, not Moff Tarkin. Moff Gideon, sorry. <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin. I was going to say, I was like, Thank Grand Moff Tarkin? I was, like, I was like, bro, that guy died in the 70s. Wait, I got excited for a sec. I was like, oh my god, reincarnated? What? Between between Grand, Grand Moff Tarkin. Gideon. Gra- Moff Gideon. He's doing our purpose. You no. interviewed him. Guys, I'm yeah. trying. He, he, make... he's, he's saying between all of the names. Thank oh, cat! I said between Grand Moff Targon, Moff Gideon, and then whatever Carl Weathers' name is. They're fucking confusing. <laughs> Come on. This is why I don't call them by any of their names. <laughs> Lucas puts up a cry face emoji <laughs> in the chat. No. Um, but what I'm trying to say is Mando doesn't have any like personal motives at this point, so it's kind of hard to. Not necessarily root for him, but in the sense of just like we now know the end game is getting Baby Yoda to his people, and he's going to be here for the long haul. But like, will we start seeing a development of 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 Mando's like wants and desires? Like, what is he trying to do? And if if that was already established, I don't feel that anymore. Like, where where is that? So I'll 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 talk to Lucas about that because he's more level headed. Um, I hope they don't give him a delusion of grandeur. I think it works perfectly. Like, I, I don't think that he needs anything more than just a desire to protect the child or even really, he's really only protecting the child so much as he gets to fulfill the mission given to him by his own specific cult of Mandalorians, right? So he's really only protecting the child so that he can basically settle a debt and move on with his life and i I think that's i think that works perfectly because it it centralizes the character you don't need to have this crazy development you don't need to have some some ultimate cause i think that's what made the newest disney movies suffer every character had such a righteous indignation all the time and it just wore you down so much that it, and not only was it wearing in terms of the characters, but it got in the way of like actual fun plot stuff um, where we spent so much time talking about righteous indignation. We didn't talk about like the like the, the cult of Revan, which showed up for like three seconds, which I'm mentioning now as a foreshadow of something I'm going to talk about later in the podcast. I have no um, idea what the hell you're talking about. You met, yeah, exactly. Exactly, Bill. That's the problem. They were in Rise of Skywalker, oh. and they were in the promo materials, and nobody knows who they are because it was so dark that no one could actually see them. Um, what? <laughs> oh, wait. Is that? Oh, that was Rise it's of the Night. It's the Knights of Ren, which are, which oh. are basically an offshoot of the Order of Revan, and mm. it's a whole it's a whole thing. But it. I think that's that basically gets the point across. It's like I really like how simple the character is. It allows you to explore other characters and explore the lore. And I, I feel like this is the first episode that I watched that the lore doesn't feel like it's fan appreciation week. It actually feels the callbacks feel like they're developing the plot rather than the callbacks feel like, here you go, guys, here's another one. So I, I'm totally fine with the character just being this straight up and down bounty hunter. It's, I think it's perfect. Yeah, I think just you explaining that too made made me realize that Mando is basically the vessel for the audience, right? You're you're Mando, and you're kind of just experiencing 
everything mm-hmm. around you, right? And it's almost like he's the he's the the Bella Swan of this uh, franchise. Yep, I said it, Cat. Jesus, Jumping Christ. Oh yeah. I mean, oh it's the most basic character ever. It's literally I'm every girl. So that's what they were going for. At Woman. least she was not a girl. She was I, five. I feel like I could say as a non-girl that if I was a girl and Bella Swan supposed to be a basic arbiter that I would be offended. I know. Uh, resident girl here. So, yeah, I was going to say, Kat, <laughs> please, please fucking um, jump in here. I, I, I'm going to say something controversial, but honestly, like I'm, I'm not trying to be an asshole. Like, at Ooh. least Bella Swan has uh, personality traits. Um what are Mandos? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Again, I, I, everything, I like, I actually like a hundred percent hear what you're saying, Lucas, and, and totally get that perspective. Um, but for me, I only care about Mando in so far as I don't want anything bad to happen to him because then baby Yoda will be sad. Mm-hmm. I only care about Mando's, connection to baby Yoda I don't really care about him because I don't know who he is as a person or character and to me that's probably the weakest aspect of the show and all of my favorite episodes of this show of this this episode I would include is there's really cool stuff happening to him and he is like in very interesting scenarios but he like he's not a hero I, I, he, like I, I i would be really hesitant to say he's even experiencing the hero's journey because that implies an arc and the closest thing i've seen to an arc on this show is he goes from being indifferent to baby yoda to like really caring for him and i will say um we were talking about earlier al your question of like um does Ahsoka Tano being so cool kind of like diminishes character. One thing that I think they did really, really well in this episode. And I was like, yes, this is how you make Mando more interesting for me is that his connection to baby Yoda in a way like transforms the force because the way that baby Yoda like has this ability, these abilities, but he's been suppressing them because he's been in hiding and they only come out because of his emotional connection to Mando is fascinating to me yeah, that yeah. that's like, that's super interesting. And that's not something we've really seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because like this idea that Jedi are supposed to like suppress emotion and connection and and that's why um ahsoka won't train him and and stuff like that but i I think that that's like a really interesting caveat simply because we've never seen the force kind of yeah before i totally agree cat um yeah i think the way that you described it is the essential way that we're going to start getting what I've been asking for in terms of Mando is like the connection between him and Grogu, like developing and him becoming more compassionate, I think is going to make him a more interesting character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think they really need to explore as a little side. I think they need to explore what Bo-Katan said to him a couple episodes ago about him basically being in like a, like, super religious sect of um, the Mandalorians. Um, and I think 
uh, Lucas will be able to give me something specific of what I'm trying to say. And how he's almost in like a cult and he kind of needs to get out of that cult mentality because there's not many left of it anyway. So when he eventually comes to Mandalore, he's going to see people who look like him but that don't act like him. So I think that's going to be cool to explore. But I just want him to kind of have um, not an end goal, but just, yeah, just make him more interesting by making him by showing more of this relationship develop, I think is going to be very helpful. Uh, Mr. Ken Grandpierre, I saved uh, this question for you because I feel like you kind of skip me. I, I'm 100% skipping you. <laughs> I'm going to Ken on this one because you will have almost zero things to say because this is a Ken and Lucas specific question. Um, Ken, the words Grand Admiral Thrawn were mentioned in a live action Mandalorian Star Wars TV show. Um, Besides, what what does that mean for you uh, personally? But just, do you think we're going to see that unfold on this show, that plot? Or do you think that would be saved for maybe a live-action Ahsoka TV show? show? I yelped out loud when I heard that name. I was massively not expecting it at all. And I'm glad you asked me about this because I feel like I could definitely provide some context for people who don't know who Thrawn is. So essentially like i'm gonna highly paraphrase before going into the deep end on it but i to answer your question to do that yes i do think we're gonna see thrawn in this show and eventually another show but the element of thrawn that's really interesting and engaging is arguably um his roots from the old eu the expanding universe is that he was essentially responsible for keeping the empire alive after the emperor died and he was essentially he he was so smart and successful at it with his military mind that he made luke Han, and leia in um you know the old eu pretty much think wow we can't beat this guy what the hell are we gonna do and the way it's being framed in this new like revived uh star wars uh with disney owning it is it's kind of implied in some of the books i haven't read them but i've read stuff about them that the first order in the sequel trilogy happens partially because of Thrawn. So something that I think a lot of people are kind of assuming is that even though the galaxy is in relative harmony right now and the new Republic is figuring things out, Ahsoka is on this mission um, and she has personal stakes involved, but she's on this mission to track down Thrawn because people are ignoring that the empire actually doing things. And she's seeing that as the direct link to stopping it. So it's interesting because, and I mean, that's hyper paraphrasing it because there's a lot to throw on that explains that the hows, the whys, the what's. But I thought they did a, like what really intrigues me is like that's a good re. I hate to say it, that's a good reason for her not to care about Baby Yoda. Like I went into the episode going like, wow, how are you gonna just sideline it? And she's like, yeah, I have a whole galaxy to save. Sorry, I'm just gonna go do that first. That was a real Captain Marvel moment for me. She's like, uh, as cool as I am, like I'm not gonna expend any energy here. This is your little side quest. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty true. Um, uh, mind if I weigh in? I, I, you can weigh in, but I had a question for you specifically that oh, might yeah, might go help. For go for it. So, Bill, <laughs> yes. my question for you was: after seeing Ahsoka's live action debut, um, just, I mean, I think general consensus, beloved, right? Just 
fucking oh, yeah. just crushed it. Do you think this opens the door not just for a potential Ahsoka series? Do you think we will see Ahsoka on the big screen? Well, that's an interesting question with the big screen is big screen, I should say. Yeah. Because it's we don't know what really what the future of Star Wars in the movies really is. Because like we've heard about this and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Al, you you know the 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 news part of this. We've heard about the Game of Thrones guys having their own Star Wars series. Lord have mercy. Uh we, we we've heard about the um there was the all-female Star Wars movie. There, there's a lot of nebulous thoughts right now, referencing senior writer Jay Kundras, fan from when I knew him in college, um, that he won't listen to his podcast, so it's all good. Um, it's a lot of, like, it's a lot of if... It's like the big Lebowski said, there's a lot of ifs and haves, you know, a lot of maybes, you know? There's a lot of stuff you have to work out, a lot of finessing that has to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know, but I, I definitely think because of Disney's uh, commitment, which we talked about in the previous podcast about focusing on streaming, I think that's where we have to think. I think we have to stop thinking about the big screen with Disney in some respects, especially when it comes to Star Wars, because The Mandalorian is such a cultural phenomenon, because Ahsoka was immediately beloved, because she was such a cool character, that I don't know if we're going to see her in a big screen adaptation. Um now, I, I, I want to bring this up about Mando, which w- w- we've talked about a little bit here about, like, was he kind of, like, overshadowed by Ahsoka? That was the whole point. Ahsoka is a wildly interesting, cool character that I think we will see later in the series. But I think there is a moment in the show where it where we kind of stray from this cult, like, um, mentality for Mando. Where he goes from just like, I have to deliver to a Jedi. He has basically, unwittingly, I think, uh, assumed the, the role that he felt when he became a Mandalorian. He, this is a foundling, much like he was. Someone displaced because of a slaughter uh, placed by the Empire or, you know, other, you know, because of Anakin. And... He has this kinship to him. He is now like, whether he realizes it or not, he is the father. And he is, this is where we see this emotional journey because he is now the father of him. And to him, you know, whether he realizes it or not, it's not this is the way. It's not this is what the forger told me to do. He has a genuine kinship to him because he sees himself in Grogu and he genuinely loves this kid. He will die for this kid. And I think that's more interesting than any mission of the week. I think in the fact he's willing to go on, because think about it. If he was just a soulless bounty hunter, he's like, well, listen, I was just supposed to deliver him to you. I'm good. If he didn't care, he would just walk away. But he cares. So he's so that's the emotional involvement of this character i think that's it's really cool so that's what i i love about it is just like fact that he's like when he was really proud of grogu when he when he moves the um the ball bearing from the the you know basically i'll say stick shift for lack of a better term um that was a cool moment that's a moment i can relate to as a father and it's just like and he, you see that and it took 
a very cool character. It took a, a character who was outside of our universe, basically, to show us this. So these two are joined at the hip, and that's what I'm very excited about. And they're like, we don't know a lot about the Mandalorian. Uh, we don't know a lot about Din Djarin, but we we know that his thing is like underneath that helmet, there's a real person and that real person loves this character will do a uh, baby Yoda and he will do anything for him. So I think that's very cool. And that's what we're going to see. And that's, what's going to keep us with him because as a parent, a son, a daughter, an aunt, an uncle, a whatever, we can all personally relate to that. And like Kat, you were saying, they're tied at the hip, Yoda and Mando, baby Yoda and Mando. Do you want to eat there, there and going forward? So that, I think that's where we're going to see those two go. And I'm very excited for that. As for, uh, you know, referencing Timothy Zahn novels that I read when I was just a wee lad, much <laughs> before all you were born, uh, or were just in swaddling clothes. It's very cool. And like, I remember Thrawn and when they were like, oh, they were in the Zahn books. Those were huge deals in the early 90s where we had these books that were continuing. Luke, Han, Leia, the twins, which we don't really talk about, that Luke and that Han and Leia had. And, um, well, I guess we do <laughs> later. And, uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's very cool that they brought that in. But it's also like, I love the fact that, like, my biggest worry, I mentioned this early in the podcast, was like, do they have plans Going forward, this is I don't want this to be the Matrix. I don't just want want this to be Game of Thrones when they run out of George R. R. Martin material. And it's like they've got plans and they're talking about Thrawn. They're talking about all this other stuff. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Yeah, absolutely. A Mandalorian something OK to say. I did. You did. You did cut me off. But what else is new? Um, I mean, you cut me I'm off. Gonna... I got you off. That's why we've been best friends for like seven years. That's true. Um, I'm going to combine kind of our, our next segment, which is uh, is the four strong with this one, where we talk about the featured guest stars of the episode, and we'll mix a little bit uh, more of the the plot as well, and specifically the excellent end fight sequence with Ahsoka and Morgan, but uh, also a great standoff between Mando and Lang. Um, Bill, who is our special special guest this week? I mean, besides Rosario Dawson? Besides Rosario Dawson, who we've already talked in length and we've uh, Action sang the praises. Action movie icon, Michael Bean, who you might know as Reese from Terminator. You might remember him from Aliens or The Rock or, uh, oh shit, Planet Terror from uh, the Grindhouse series. Yeah. Uh, also... Uh, Navy Seals, a favorite of mine on VHS with Charlie Sheen. Ooh, uh, Navy Seals. Oh, great Sorry. movie. Bill Sorry. Paxton. Clark's Rick reference. Rasevich. Come on. Um, so many great things. And let's not forget that Morgan Elspeth, um, Diana Lee Intonato, the goddaughter of Bruce Lee. So cool. Oh, and, shit. And the man who becomes mayor or who ends up with the town is actually a long-time Disney employee. I believe he was... I don't think he was in Imagineering. He was in... Uh, he was in the Parks Department. He was there for, like, forever. So that That's was, like, so a cool, cool little inside uh, oh, reference. Sweet. 
Nice. Yeah. So yeah, there was a lot of really cool. But you know, I'm gonna pop anytime I see Michael Bean, man. He's yeah. like, uh, his scene with Ed Harris and The Rock. You stand out. No, you stand out. It's like it's such a ridiculously macho Michael Bay moment. Um, but yeah, I love seeing him in there, and I just loved him as this like devious, definitely fake teeth, uh, gunslinger type character. Like uh, this re- reinforcing. Jesus, Bill. Uh, be professional. Uh, is the uh, reinforcing this the Western aspect of it? I loved it. Yeah. Also in Tombstone, which I referenced before the podcast started. Excellent. Um, I I want to talk more specifically about Michael Bean's character. I believe he's played Lang, and um, but I Not just played by Stephen Lang, which was no miss, but you know. <laughs> I, I do want to say that um, it was cool to see this like weird comparison. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ken and Luke. Like Grand Admiral Thawne, is he part of like the Empire? I'm guessing. Yeah. Uh, Lucas, do you want to take this one? Yeah. So he's the, like, the, let me educate you. <laughs> so also, this- Al, I want you to let me know when it's appropriate for me to give you my uh, Charlie Kelly, Pepe Silvia style conspiracy theory. <laughs> Um, oh, so you you let I me know when it's that time. A video podcast, <laughs> and we just pan over to your to your room. Your girlfriend just points to like a cork board. Lucas, uh, at, at some point during this podcast, I'm just gonna say Pepe Silvia, and you're gonna just <laughs> go for it. Okay. Okay, that sounds fair. Um, but so Grand Admiral Thrawn, um, the the short version of it. He's a member of a group called the Chiss Ascendancy, which is a race of master tacticians that reside in the unknown regions, unexplored regions of the galaxy. Um, he is the Empire's 13th Grand Admiral, a secret Grand Admiral, because of the Empire's hatred of non-humans. Um, so he is kept in secret as the Emperor's fallback plan. The Emperor sees him as the only true heir to his tactical genius, in heavy air quotes. So when... Um, so he kind of operates in secrecy, and that's why he's able to work the outer regions, because the unknown regions border the outer regions um, of the galaxy. Um, and the legends go that because they thought they the rebels thought they had hunted down all 12 Grand Admirals, they had no idea who could be restarting the Empire. They did not know about a secret 13th Grand Admiral. So that is what Thrawn uh, has been up to. Got it. So the, the the reason I bring it up is just like we're seeing people who are associated with him. I guess we are believed to be uh, with the Empire as well. So like is is Morgan Elsbeth, I think is her name, is she a part of – in this context, do you think she's still part of the Empire? So I know in Legends he relies a lot on like local leaders – um, and that's part of the significance of the best car staff is he has this collection of artifacts from different cultures that he dominates because he wants to try to understand a culture through their artifacts, believing that if he understands the culture, he can understand how to beat us like a race of people. Mm. Um, so I think that she's not part of the empire. I think that she's just a local warlord that he respects or in is in some way connected to him. But I think a lot of his reliance, especially in the keeping of secrets is that these people are not necessarily part of the empire, but they are definitely empire sympathizers. Got it. Okay. I guess for the the clarification for me is just like, we were kind of seeing two vastly different sides of the empire because a couple episodes ago, Mm -hmm. the the Bo-Katan episode, the heiress, um, we saw Bosch as like this, like, 
you know, high ranking officer, maybe not that high ranking, but like mid level ranking officer in the empire, very traditional, very, what we've seen in in the original Mm -hmm. trilogy. And then we go to this planet and it's like complete opposite feel. Mm -hmm. And I just want to make sure, I guess for viewers too. Yeah. Cause if the other thing too, is if you remember back to, um, Oh gosh. If you remember back to the new trilogy, the weird, completely unnecessary side subplot about the Codebreaker from... Yes. Um, yeah, so it, the Empire relies on a network of civilian mining and shipbuilding operations, and that, I think, is what this planet is. There's civilian strip miners that strip mine planets, and they just happen to be here, and they have a contract fulfilling Empire contracts to give them raw materials to build Star Destroyers, the fleet on Exegol, um, in theory. But, uh, yeah, I think they're just civilian strip miners with a contract um, being paid by the Empire. Got it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was just the clarification I needed because it just felt like we were just seeing, like, two different sides of the same coin, just, like, different, like, how they work, right? So um, just getting more into, like, specifically Michael Bean's character, um, we, we've got two really cool back and forth right so we get this um kill bill style specifically kurosawa style uh face off between these two samurai and then we have um very john ford western kind of cowboy conflict uh right outside uh the walls um cat Going back to just, again, the, the cinephile aspect of it, like, what did you think of the, the Michael Bean casting? Did you think it was like a stunt casting or did you think it was the right choice? And then just um, his small role in this awesome grand universe and his excellent death. I, I just want to get your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, <clears throat> I It's funny, you, you mentioned Kill Bill and all this stuff. I, I liked how just kind of cinema. I just like the way the the whole thing was shot. It was so interesting to me that we're seeing Mando and this guy having this like really snarky conversation. Like they're not being really violent at all, but you're waiting for something to happen. Meanwhile, you hear, um, Ahsoka like losing her shit in the background. You hear like all the like of the, of the lightsabers and you hear all the clashing, like you hear the fighting and the dudes are just like, yeah. So, uh, sounds like they're really going at it in there. Um, and how much also, you weigh? Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and what do you bench, bro? Yeah, what do you bench? That's what I meant. <laughs> how much you weigh? <laughs> what do you bench? Hey, um, you want a keto diet? How's that working out for you? <laughs> Sorry, Kat. I like how Lucas also laughed and we just are looking at like a weird face of Yoda on our video call. We love Yoda. Um, another thing I really liked about that scene, and this was something I, I couldn't really, or I didn't have the time or space to, to mention in the review that I wrote for the site, is that I, in particular, am extremely sensitive to the moment in action movies when, quote, it's time for the girls to fight. It always irritates me. It's always obnoxious. It always feels so like ham fisted. And I did not feel that at all here. Um, it felt like very like, like, like the face off between, um, Ahsoka and what is her name? Morgan Elspeth. I was going to say like Lisbeth, the the Lysander. Um, yes, 
it felt, it felt like very natural. It felt very earned. And, um, I thought it was just, it was really interesting and it was really cool to kind of see them, um, go head to head. And also I was thinking about how, like, I could totally be wrong, but is this the first time in a live action Star Wars that we have seen two women fight? It felt like no, it. I mean, I think, I think it is. It is. Yeah. Um, and it felt yeah. like, I don't know if, how you felt about it, Kat, but like for me, when I was like, when that moment happened, I was looking around, I'm like, oh shit, guys. I don't know about yeah. you, but this is on. No one in the room, by the way. I was just like, <laughs> this is, this shit's going down. I mean, like, it felt like, a heavyweight prize fight like this was the main event this wasn't just like oh look like you were saying before like oh look the ladies are fighting now this felt like right. fuck this is this is just this is going to be in- epic exactly was- and and the men kind of took a like a back seat to the whole mm-hmm. situation and had like a much more uh like cowboy standoff where they're just kind of like waiting for the other person to move meanwhile the women are like these like bomb ass like samurais who were just like cutting shit up it was it was just i really loved how it was filmed it was extremely cinematic and it was also very interesting because obviously dave filoni most of his background is in animation and so i thought it was particularly um impressive that all of that came across like so cinematically um cat that's a great point i never even thought about that seeing like this first female first female live action battle i'm trying to think if there was ever one and, and i think lucas would know if that's an actual and fact and can as well but the thing that i want to just reference going back i think that's the first time i've ever watched something in star wars and again clone wars rebels i've never watched live action we'll just we'll just stick mm-hmm. to that mm-hmm. is that the first time we ever watched someone with a lightsaber and someone without a lightsaber and it not end and someone just be dead. Like in the I, sense I'm that, pretty sure. I'm pretty you sure know what I mean? that's like, the cool part because it's just like yeah. here's like because you and it's kind of mentioned is it mentioned in this episode? I don't remember that. It's just like, oh yeah, Beskar was developed just to, you know, inhibit Jedi, yeah. In, in combat right. the Jedi, and you're just seeing them and it's just like like you said, like, here's Ahsoka, two lightsabers, two. obviously badass. She's just so gonna cool. vivisect Morgan Elspeth, and then doesn't. I mean, that's pretty cool, man. Well, I was talking about even before that. She when she attacks Mando, she attacks Mando, and he's blocking with the Beskar armor. And I was like, holy shit, I've never seen this happen. Like, I'm trying to think back. I'm thinking of Attack the Clones uh, when they're fighting um, Grievous, and he's got like 70 lightsabers in his yeah. many many hands. Like, and, and that that's you why. Know what I mean? That's why it's actually interesting and why this show is so smart. And I mentioned this last time I was on the podcast that something I'm glad the show isn't doing is having like 55 Jedi in every shot and we just see like lightsabers in every single frame. And it's like, okay, we fucking get it. Like that's not happening here. Like there's actual meaning and structure and a point to seeing these face-offs and there isn't like over overly stylized choreography mm-hmm. and people like flipping upside down and like there's none of that this is just like it feels real and I, th- I mentioned this in my review that this is the first time in a very long time that I've actually 
seen someone yielding a lightsaber and feel like, wow, this person's really cool, as opposed to, wow, that actor memorized a lot of fight choreography. Like, oh, yes. It's, it's, it's such a like small, subtle point, but I think that really has to do with the fact that, like we mentioned Dave Filoni before, like he kind of is like the, the modern Star Wars person, um, at least in my mind. And so he approaches all these characters with like so much thought and, and because he's mostly been on the small screen, I think is not constantly thinking about Mm -hmm. how can we make everything a capital S spectacle. It's more of like, no, how do we actually show growth through characters and have situations happen that really goes back to character growth? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill, Michael Bean aficionado, um, what, what did you think of just the, just the casting um, were, were you a, a bigger fan of his performance versus Bosch? Um, just for your Adel- general thoughts. Uh, Bosch, Titus Welliver, if you're wondering who the actor's name is. It's fucking Bosch. <laughs> it's Titus Welliver, who was also in the town and Gone Baby Gone. Uh, he, um, you know, it's two different things. He played that very buttoned up um, Empire, you know, guy perfectly. Uh, being... You know, he he played that he played the Johnny Ringo uh, character from Tombstone. But if he were an older guy, you know, he was still, you know, he he was, you know, that final moment with Mando was super cool where he's like, ah, oh, you know, it looks like your side won. This isn't a good cause. And I thought I'm like, OK, this guy's just going to throw his guns down and be like, fucking I'm out. But no. He, he, it was all deception because at the end of the day, he was just a, you know, he's a gunfighter and he's a mercenary and he wants to prove his manhood over and killing a Mandalorian, which by the way, was really dumb since the, you know, Mando is like fully armored up way to go. Michael Bean's character, good dick. Like you're not going to kill a guy who's basically all armored up with like pulling a fast one and shooting him. We've seen that happen before in the past where he's taken multiple blasters and it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I, I, but I'd love the casting of, of both those guys. Um, we knew Michael Bean was going to be in the series. That was something from the jump, but Titus Bolivar was a nice uh, cameo, especially if you know who he is. Uh, but yeah, Michael Bean, that was perfect casting is playing this kind of devious henchman type, it, which is funny because he's usually not, he's usually like the, the martyr soldier type character in so many features. I want to move on to the next segment, but I know I didn't give Ken and Lucas a chance to chime in, but I will do a quick lightning round to them real quick. And, and I'll start with Ken. If we get to see grand Admiral Thrawn in this show, who do you want to play him? Lightning round, lightning round. You know what? Like, it's not a original idea for me. It's definitely one the internet's talked about. But it's like once you uh, hear it, you can't unsee it. And Benedict Cumberbatch, it just would. It, like it, his face and his voice. That's that's it. it like that's thrown in a nutshell. Like what it's meant to be. And apart from him, I would say anyone with a longish face. Mm. 
Okay, some specifics. Uh, Luke, same question. Having just watched Michael Fassbender and Steve Jobs mm. not 24 hours ago, I would say Michael Fassbender. Ooh. I think that I think he's got enough of a dramatic range, and I think he gets really into characters. Like I feel like he can definitely like just be Michael Fassbender, like he was in uh, the X Men movies. But I feel like he really, really did a deep dive on Steve Jobs for that role, and I feel like there's enough source material that he could really get into a Grand Admiral Thrawn. By the way, seeing a picture of Grand Admiral Thrawn, Colin Farrell. Ooh, good call too. What did Cat? What do you got? Yeah, you might as well jump in, Cat. Uh, oh, oh sure, I, sure. I was just gonna say, I, I, I don't know anything about this character, um, so it's very interesting hearing you guys talk about them. But all three names you mentioned, just like on the surface, I feel like would be very, very believable as like space Nazis and fascists. So I support yeah. any of those castings. Like that's great. Uh, I I'll do watch. have. I do have one more, actually, that just popped in my head while Lucas was talking, and I think it would be kind of mind-blowing. I think Mahershala Ali would do a really good job, too. Oh, oh, it's lit. Oh, mm-hmm. that's... Get and it, and just and put him in. If you said Mahershala Ali is going to be the new Han Solo, I'd be like, you know what? That's a great idea. Because <laughs> the aspect about Thrawn that makes him very intriguing, um, and w- one of the things I would really love to see him depicted as is he's... Very cunning, but very charming and very cold all at once. So, you know, when you think about that contradiction, it's kind of like someone who's cold isn't necessarily approachable, but there is an intellect and charm that he knows how to employ. And yeah, like when you read him and when you see him in like the animated series, because he was on Rebels and yeah, he's a really like, he's a scary dude. Like he's, when you see him on screen, you're like, that's not a guy I want to be in a room with. What about I could a, totally see Mahershala doing that, man. That's that would be a coup that's for fair. Disney to get him. I was gonna say, I, I kind of don't even want to say mine now because it's not as good. Just as do it. And he's a blue. Sorry. Wait. What? Well, Grand Admiral Thorn, he's blue. He's an. Oh, alien. I think you meant Mahershala Ali is blue. And I'm like, <laughs> Hold on. Why would that? I did not see this on the I, that, recently. I was also confused. Uh, my my. My pick is not a solid pick. I was just brainstorming. I, uh, what about like a Tom Hiddleston? Would he fit? Well, it was I actually know. who I thought of too, but he's so tied to Loki that it I might not mm-hmm. work. I know. I thought of Tom Hiddleston Sinister. too, and I'm like, ah. I don't know if Hiddleston can play, can play cold and detached. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think he can. I think he can. He, he's British. That's in his blood. That's true. <laughs> that's like, that's DNA, dude. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to our British listeners. Um, moving on to our next segment, Stop Baby Yoda Time, which is going to be uh, and a, a specific addendum is happening. What an amazing episode where we get not only the introduction of Ahsoka, the mention of Thrawn, but we also unexpectedly get the name drop of all name drops. Um, this is not a clone. Well, if it is a clone of, of Yoda, we don't know that specifically yet, but it is not named Yoda. I think that would suck. <laughs> um, we have a, a little, 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 little baby Grogu. Um, huge moment, huge moment. I mean, this is, again, another fantastic baby Yoda episode specifically. Um, 
we get to see the return of his favorite toy, which is this uh, silver ball-looking thing that is on the, uh, I don't know, gear? What, what the fuck am I going to call that? Whatever, shifter? on Stick shift, um, stick shift on the Razor Crest. So um, we get to see him, uh, we get to see the return of that, and it comes into play later when um, Ahsoka has Mando kind of channel the baby's the baby's force the child's force and like get it awakened um i know i know i know i know sorry ah i had a dad joke i had to do it um again we just saw a lot of great moments from baby yoda so again I'll, i'll try to get everybody this time and i'll start with uh luke what did you think of the name reveal uh, disappointed, happy, don't give a shit. What is your overall feel about uh, Baby Grogu? Um, I think I fall into the don't give a shit category. I think it's important for the development of the relationship between Mando and Grogu because he responds to that name. So um, I think it's important for the development of the Force powers, which I think will come into play in my crackpot theory at the end of the episode. But... Um, I don't. I really don't care about the name so much. I do think it was necessary at this point of the season to establish that it is not a clone of Yoda, that this is a altogether different member of the species. Because oh, how quickly we forget Yaddle, the female Yoda on the Jedi <laughs> Council in Episode One, The Phantom Menace, and how what quickly we forget. What the fuck are you talking about? I'm part oh. of my French, but I do not remember <laughs> any of this shit. There I saw that movie once in the theaters. Well, and remain watch, ignorant. Remain ignorant. I, go I'm watch just, The I Phantom can, Menace again. God, no. I'd rather. <laughs> I tried watching that with my wife, who was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I want to watch Star Wars. Let's start from episode one. We got 10 minutes into Phantom Menace. She's like, I never want to watch this. And I'm like, <laughs> I get it. Um, well, that's because you didn't get to the good part, which is the second half of the movie. Probably be the credits. I mean, <laughs> or Dominic uh, West from The Wire shows up. <laughs> and and you know what? How quickly we also forget about the Easter egg of Yoda's species being in the Galactic Senate in the prequels as well. Um, so I just think it's really important that we at this point get rid of Baby Yoda, and Wait. we establish that it's its own thing. Wait, there. Wait, are they? I want to hear Ken in a second, but I have to say specifically, I thought the Easter egg in in there was ET. Yeah, that is one of them, but you can also spot another member of the species in the Senate. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken, go. I was just gonna say I have a theory that's probably gonna be quite unpopular, and I haven't seen online yet, so I do think it's an original one, a theory and a hot take. I actually do think that Grogu is a clone of Baby Yoda, but not Baby Yoda, a clone of Yoda, but it's a clone of Yoda that Yoda did not know about, and the Jedi did it behind his back because they were worried about him dying, which he dies 22 or 23 years after the Great Purge happens, and I just think it would be an interesting dynamic and add a layer to how fucked up and incompetent the Jedi were, where... Here they were where they made a clone of Yoda, they hid it from Yoda, it worked, and now all this evil, fucked up stuff is ensuing. Ken, can I just say that that I personally think is really stupid, so I'm almost certain that that is true. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're right. I think you're right. Because 
Yeah, I, I, I actually think that that's it. I think that's dumb, but it, it has dumb. to be it. Because you could see the Jedi trying to rationalize it, even though it's a completely evil and fucked up thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I like the theory, and the only reason I can actually support it is this episode also has the introduction of the word Yoda. Ahsoka mentions Yoda in this episode, specifically, like, I knew someone else who is of his race, um, Master Yoda, who is very kind and awesome. Who she was close with in the Clone Wars series, Mm -hmm. like, she was quite friendly with. Yeah, so... That's the only way I can like really even back up Ken's theory because I kind of want to be on Lucas's camp of him being just a, another one of his species. But at the same time, the, the timeline does make sense, Ken. It weirdly yeah. does, doesn't it? It does. I'm you know like backtracking guys, you know from like it's all leading up to. We're gonna get a Samuel L. Jackson cameo in this. Because if you consider, oh, he's still if you alive. Consider, if you consider when Yoda dies or Return of the Jedi, and then think about if the Jedi didn't die in Revenge of the Sith, then that means at that period, Yoda was on his way out because 22, 23 years is nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, Man- So Mandalorian is six years after the Death Star 2, which is... I love this. So much math. Seven and- years after the Battle of Yavin. And Baby Yoda is 46? Yeah, so, you're, so minus 15 would oh, be wow. 31. Then Attack of the Clones takes place... Five years before Revenge of the Sith, so that's 26, and we know the clone program has been going for at least 15 years. Al has literally fallen off his seat, dead. <laughs> so there, there's something I think something that adds to this theory for me is a little. I mean, this is such a off tangent, but I think it's interesting in the context of Star Wars is that Star Wars is the only sci-fi medium I could think of that introduces something like cloning uses it for, like, a very big, specific uh, story, such as, like, the Clone Wars and the Soldiers, and then it never gets brought up again. And I, it's one of those things I find very weird. Even in the context of where we are now, I look at that idea, the idea of the planet Kamino, and it's like, okay, it was a secret at the prequels, but the whole point of that movie in Attack of the Clones is that it's no longer a sequel, a, a secret, and we never hear it discussed again. It's kind of weird. It's like, wait, there's a planet where they clone people and no one talks about this? Ken, yeah. I'm going to repeat it. It's so stupid that you are 100% right. <laughs> Why else would they care so much about Baby Yoda? Because initially yeah. you're like, oh, he's one of the only people who has the Force left. We know that's not true. Yeah, we but know it's not the last Jedi. But they we also mentioned that. his M count. Yeah. Uh, which we know is, as Liam Neeson said, metachlorians. And uh, so listen, guys, I, I like when I said Samuel L. Jackson cameo, I am not joking. Yeah, I legit think we're going to if if he is a clone, we are going to see. SLJ in this series and they're not going to reveal it. And when it does, you're going to be like. Mother Fletcher, this is this is a huge reveal. Um, because if they're going to call out to other Jedi, you have to wonder. You have to think like, who is out there? Mace Windu, Luke Skywalker. Like, do we? So it's got to be one or the other, or like you're going to some rando that I don't know about. Which we, I mean, come on, it's Bill Bogg, and know, I don't know everything. We know of two others that exist from like the like 
games and like uh, TV show stuff. But I just have to come out and say, so there, there's like two small slight gripes I have with this episode. But one of them is that this new journey, once that was said, like, you know, the whole seeing stone and calling out to the forest. I sat down and I was like, okay, you, you have to just cast Sebastian Stan. Because at this point, it yeah. makes no sense that Luke Skywalker is out in this. Like, it, it feels like they're pushing this series. Sebastian and, Stan by fellow Rutgers alumni. I just have to do it. Because, that would be amazing. Yeah. Cause, and, I, you know, to be honest, I felt this way in season one in the context of once you introduce something like Baby Yoda as an entity, I'm supposed to, like, obviously Luke Skywalker is doing his own thing and he's, like, several, like, light years away. But considering how rumors spread throughout the galaxy, I'm supposed to believe Luke Skywalker is not hearing it. And I feel like ever since that, like, the kernel of the idea... Mando keeps getting into situations, especially with like those Republic pilots and that base and like the other bounty hunters where I'm like, okay, how the hell does Luke Skywalker not know about this? How like and now with the seeing stone thing reaching the force, it's like, okay, so in the season finale, Sebastian Stan's gonna show up. He has to. I mean listen. Oh, that makes sense. And only only, only <laughs> I mean, This is wild, man. The only the only response. <laughs> Kyle Katarn's still out there. Mmm. Kyle Katarn, so former. I thought first of all, like, do you say so? Cat, cat, you love this. It's basically Han Solo as a Jedi. Yeah, but not so. And and it it makes sense because they they've already introduced the Dark Troopers, which is Kyle Katarn's introduction to the Legends. Oh, that's right. His first mission, working for the Rebels after he defects from the Empire, is destroying the base where the Dark Troopers were made. In Jedi Knight Dark Forces. Um, so wait a minute, you're you're saying there's a man named Kyle in the Star Wars universe? Yes, <laughs> there is. There's a man named Poe. I can he, uses, uh, he uses a mountain no, no, no. lightsaber. They, they slept on that one. They're like, uh, <laughs> Kyle, Kylo, Rilo, Kyle. Yeah, if they somehow <laughs> introduce Kyle Katarn, it would be amazing because he's a, he's basically. Cause and it's funny, cause like him and Luke interact in the in the video games, like the mm-hmm. old EU stuff, and it's basically Han Solo and Luke, but mm-hmm. it's like a Jedi, and he's just like Kyle Katarn's a Jedi who calls Jedi stupid, like it's the best thing in the world. Like he's a Jedi and he thinks the whole light side dark side thing is dumb. So Tom Hardy's going to be that character now, because Timothy Oliphant was taken because he was that like uh, who else is like sarcastic like Timothy Oliphant? Tom Hardy. If, if, if that happened, I would fall over in my seat. Honestly, John Favreau should just, you know, we should we should be a research team and <laughs> this resource. Honestly, like I, a lot of this sounds ridiculous, but Ken, I completely think that that's going to happen, and I totally believe it because we have to remember that the the backbone of all Star Wars is George Lucas and his like. It's like poetry. It rhymes and everything needs to come back up again. It needs to connect with something else. It needs to like it all needs to come full circle. I mean, we can't have new things. We need to have things we already know. Am, so, I yeah. silly, am I silly for thinking like the second Ahsoka told him about the whole stone thing and reaching on the forest? I thought of Luke Skywalker right away. Am I silly for that? No, no I did. No, I did not. too, honestly. But here's here's my my only like uh, gripe with that is. It's a galaxy, like, right? Like, it's humongous. It would take years and years to travel through. I don't know how fucking space works. I know they have hyper, 
uh, you know, hyperspeed and shit. The I'm most just saying, honest thing you've said on this podcast. I don't know. Fucking space work. You know. But we all know. You have a journalism degree. I just I just want to reiterate something that I've never iterated is Luke Skywalker is not Superman. Like, he can't be everywhere. But so, yet he he is intimately connected with pretty much every Star Wars story we've ever seen. Yeah, and this is a good chance for, for them to... Divorce it's not even from that. Yeah, but it's not even like a course correction. Obviously, they're very involved in, in the mythos and everything. Ahsoka is directly related, related to um, the Skywalkers because Anakin was her master, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I know I'm right, and I didn't even watch the show. So... Okay. You've already seen the Seeing Stone too, Correct. because it was in the movies. Correct. When? So, so here's the, so much. Here's <laughs> here's the connection: is Luke on that random ass planet where one of the first Jedi temples was established? Right. That's like from the movies. He sits on that rock, and there's that like weird pool that vibrates behind him. Right. And from that rock, he's able to do a yeah. whole bunch of like mystical nonsense. So Typhon. This planet is where the Jedi species originates. It is the first known instance of the Jedi uh, in the Legends universe. And then they become a spacefaring race and they leave the planet and discover that they're not special. The Force isn't just on this planet. It's everywhere. So it makes sense that if Typhon was the first Jedi temple and has a seeing stone... Then this other planet that Luke was on, that was one of the first Jedi temples, might also have that. My God, there's so many layers. Yeah, and I just want—it's like nachos. It's like an onion. I just want to point out Star Wars. I just want to point out that it would be the greatest thing in the world to me if Luke and the Skywalkers never show up on this show or any Jedi. I I agree. I agree. Yeah, but 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 the way the show's been going, it's been pushing itself in a corner where now. I'm looking at him like, okay, now it's ridiculous if Luke doesn't show up. Like, I don't want him I, to. I don't now th- it's silly. For me, I don't I don't look at it that way, Ken. Like, if this um, Tawny Katane, Kyle Katan, whatever his name was, I'm sorry, um, shows Kyle up. Kyle Octane. Kyle Octane. Hot speed Racer. If Speed yes. Racer shows up. You know what I mean. By the way, completely underrated movie, Speed Racer. Um, Cole's favorite. Reg- regardless. Oh, Another reason why I love your boyfriend. Great guy. Um, if we skew from the Skywalkers and we go to this other Jedi who's out there, I think that's the right call because it's just like we've been talking about on the podcast for weeks about how like the cinematic Star Wars films have just crowbarred everything about Skywalkers and the other movies into it where this has been like very seamless and being like, Hey, fall of the empire. There was a power vacuum, so the mining, the this mine, this oil or mining syndicate came in in episode one, uh, the first episode of the season. Um, you know, Moff Gideon is like trying to, you know, salvage and resurrect the empire. You know, we still have stormtroopers out there because you know the empire was huge. We didn't, you know, we didn't end it. it or sorry, the resist. I'm not in the resistance. The resistance didn't completely end it because they destroyed the Death Star. So I feel like if we went to another Jedi or Mace Windu, you know, uh, we have, I I don't think we need Luke because like, I feel like that's just like, uh, this is where we went. We went back to the Skywalkers. Let's move past it. 
I think that would be a smart move. So I agree with you. I feel the same. Not no, I agree with that. I guess at this point, though, depending on how it goes on, I guess it's just going to make me kind of look at Luke Skywalker as incompetent. Because I almost look at it like, it how, dude, how is all this stuff going on? And you don't know anything. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> good question. I, th- I think the, the only thing I disagree with you, Ken, is that you, you think that Luke Skywalker will show up at the end of this season or something. I do think that this is eventually leading to someone we know very, very well. Even if it's not Luke, it's somebody. But I don't think that's going to happen for three more seasons. Because the way this show is plotted is at a snail's pace because it's all leading up to something huge. I just want to remind everybody, we are in the middle of season fucking two, and we've only just now found out really anything about Baby Yoda. It it also took, like, almost ten episodes to see Mando with his helmet off. Like, they're really taking their time with this shit, and I think if it is leading up to something, it's going to be, like, three seasons from now. I have a... I have a theory of how the season finale is going to end. And it's one of those things that I came up with. And I'll be so mad if this is how it actually ends. Mad in a sense of just like (laughs) predictability. Because something that I realized over the course of how the show's been is that we've, as an audience, we've yet to experience um, as any sense of a cliffhanger. And I was thinking about what Ahsoka sent him on. And it's one of those things where, okay, so he's going to put... Uh, Grogu on this rock and he's going to activate the force and and at the same time Moff Gideon is after him we know that so I have this weird idea that the season finale is going to be Mando and Baby Yoda aka Grogu actually reaching Typhon getting to that rock Moff Gideon ascending there with his dark troopers shooting the temple to crap and then Baby Yoda and uh, Mando are going to be in this temple. Everything's getting shot up. There's flames everywhere. And then when whatever Baby Yoda decides to do, that's where the camera's going to cut. I have a strong oh. feeling of the finale. And I'm like, please don't. Please don't leave me hanging. Ugh, I hope you're that's wrong. That's what finales do. I, feel I like, hope I'm wrong, too. I feel like because this show puts us, like, gives I mean one season basing this off of gives us breadcrumbs to the next season. I feel like if that does happen, we will know which way he's going to go. But it's like, well, okay, well, how the fuck do we get there? Season three. And I also feel we're, we're going to get the boardwork empire slash ducktales finale where everyone, cause I can't see, I can't see us not getting Timothy Oliphant and Sasha Banks and Bo-Katan and all these heroes and Ahsoka not coming back to help them in the end. It's like, we've built it up or Cara Dune and grief Carter, maybe not Cara Dune, but like grief Carter, like everyone coming back at the end to, to help them in some way. We've built it up. It's like, see you down the road. season finale but maybe see down the road is next season speaking of sasha banks said on social media that her character she knows that her character doesn't show up again in this season but she didn't say whether bo katan does ah sasha damn it (laughs) (laughs) yeah why would she say that um she was was asked 
Can I just say, Bill, that I love that your examples of like the everybody comes back at the end situations are both Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> this is this is me in a nutshell, basically. By the way, season three of Ducktales just wrapped up. Chef's kiss. If you don't cry at that Christmas special, you're not a human. Um, I'm very excited to watch it. Um, we are we are big Ducktales stands on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get into the final Star Warsian. Mandalorian aspect of this show. Is this the way where we give a quick general review of our uh, just feelings of the episode, and then we do a rating system of 1 to 12 parsecs. Kat, since you have already reviewed the show for the website, Mm -hmm. which you can read on thepopbreak.com, what was uh, your review and just kind of convert it into parsecs? Yeah. um, I would say that this is probably my favorite episode of the show that is lore based, if that makes sense. That's less like um, adventure of the week. This, this felt very different. It's my favorite of that, but actually my favorite adventure of the week episode was earlier this season. Um, the episode that I call children of men in space One in which favorite sentences ever written on the site. In which I have never been so emotionally compromised by a frog woman who is just trying to get her eggs fertilized by her frog husband. (laughs) It was like beautiful and I was sweating and those truly disgusting spider things. I was like, oh my God. I was too much. Amazing episode. But for this one, Incredible with the lore, incredible with the characters, so cinematic, the direction, stunning, uh, Grogu, we stan, even though it's still Baby Yoda. Um, I would say 11 out of 12 parsecs. I'm going to go next because I need to uh, see a man about a horse, as my dad would say. Um, is Yeah, I'm going to go 11 out of 12 as well. Uh, because I can't give it a 12 out of 12 because like, I literally don't know what the rest of the season is going to be. And like, as Kat said in her review, it's just like every week you tune into this series, the next episode could be an instant classic. And like, I think this is one of the best episodes the series has done, you know, cinematically it's like you're watching this. <laughs> sometimes it felt like a video game. Sometimes it felt like you're watching an animated series. Just, I mean, the way they were able to use the sabers to, uh, light Ahsoka from, you know, like light her up was just like, God, it was breathtaking. It was just beautiful how they did it. Just the smog and just the, you know, which, which led to dramatic effect, but also led into the story of just complete industrialization and stripping down of planets and just like destruction of the environment for greed and evil, which, you know, Hey, a little commentary on, you know, the world today. Um, was a beautiful moment. Just like everything about this felt more grand and more epic and more cinematic than we had seen in this show. And this took this series from Al, I had mentioned this to you before, like this elevated this show to another level. Like this was HBO quality, grand television event. Like this was already destination television, but HBO has the reputation of creating historically great shows this is 
what I feel like this episode proved. There's like visually we can create these masterful episodes. Storyline-wise, we can weave in influences ranging from books and video games and animated series, and we can seamlessly bring them into your living room or a computer or tablet or mobile device without ever making you feel dumb, which is really hard to do, especially with, like, there's so many disparate sources where you can get Star Wars history, lore, and mythology and, and, and materials. And it was just great. And Ahsoka is a character we talked about in the very first podcast of this series. The casting we thought was perfect. It paid off huge dividends. We're going to see us. I, I guarantee you'll see a spinoff of this on Disney plus Disney is putting a lot of money into streaming. You cannot look at this episode and say, Oh yeah, this was a one-time character. Or this is a, just a random recurring character. This is an actress and a character you take and you give a series to, and that was crazy good. And it showed that this series has a long, a long future, which a lot of shows don't do. We're planning for years ahead. And that was amazing. So I'm going to give it 11 out of 12 because I don't know. Next week could be even better. We still have a Robert Rodriguez episode to go. So it's going to be crazy. And, um, I loved it so much. And, you know, hey, you can throw Michael Bean in there. Sweet. Mr. Ken Grandpierre. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm definitely in more agreement with both Kat and Bill. Though it's funny. I feel like what, the one of the reason why I love this episode so much is less to do about how I feel about The Mandalorian as a show and just how they approach Ahsoka in general. One of the criticisms I've seen online in regards to Mandalorian is that the mission of the week element has gotten a little stale. I don't fully agree with that, but I do feel like this episode waned on me. Uh, like just a slight criticism I have of the element of Mando gets to a place and someone tells him, "Hey, do this thing," and then it's like it sets. It's kind of like, "Hey, you'll get this thing if you do this thing," and it's. I don't hate that format, but it is kind of wearing a little thin. Like, I almost want Mando to be like, hey, just give me the fucking thing or to have a reaction. But what really elevated this episode to me is that it very much was a portrait of a person. And that person being Ahsoka, where I definitely, like, because I have the background of watching the Clone Wars, I could see very subtle things that influence how she's acting just within this episode alone. And I really love that. Like, there were little nods there that weren't overdone. Like, there's an element of sadness of what's been lost with the Jedi, but also, like, this sense of, like, um, purpose in regards to the mission she's on next. There's also this care for justice, how at the end of the day she does want to liberate this town. And it's all done very, like, holistically. I, like, that really blew me away. And, you know, people have been talking about the potential for a spinoff series, which I would love. But I would actually bring up something that's really beautiful about the way this episode ends is that the last shot is Ashoka looking up at uh, the Razor Crest and the music is swelling up and her face is lit up and she's like smirking and she's walking away. And what's wild to me is as much as I would love to see an Ahsoka spinoff series, um, if they never showed her again and that was the last shot I saw her on, I would actually feel pretty like satisfied with that. 
And that's a big thing to say, considering I desperately want more of this character. So, yeah, I would give this episode 10 out of 12 parsecs. Like, I feel like the Mandalorian aspects could have been better, but they did such a brilliant job with Ahsoka that that elevates this episode so much for me. L-P-J. I give it an 11.9, and I reserve the right to change it to 12. Um, there has never been a better 45-minute segment of Star Wars content produced since The Empire Strikes Back. Holy shit, I am stunned. That's it. Stunned! I mean, you guys have all, have all combined to say it. Um, Dave Filoni is the man, and mm-hmm. he's... He's like George Lucas if George Lucas could write dialogue, um, which he historically cannot. Oh, um, I completely agree. I mean, yeah. totally. Agree. And you know what? You know what really grinds my gears? <laughs> what is it, Peter Griffin? <laughs> Tell me. Uh, is that Disney can do Star Wars properly? So, which means they just chose not to for the first three movies that they had, because it shows that they. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be willing to accept that the first three movies were a a Five. learning experience for them. Oh, the, the, the trilogy, the Star Wars stories were incredible and beyond reproach. Um, but these like these overarching stories, I mean, like these longer story arcs, these like building of characters, they do know what they're doing. And I think it just means that Dave Filoni needs to be in the driver's seat because this was absolutely masterful. Yeah. Uh, couldn't agree more. Actually, I can. Um, I'm going to give this 12 out of 12 parsecs, and I know I've already given one episode this season that. Well, that was Tim the Alphonse, so don't worry about it. It was not. It was the it was the heiress. I thought that was the. I thought they oh. just absolutely. That was um, but but I, guys, the Frog Woman, like. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, if, she, if we don't see her again, that is a huge ball drop from the series. Yeah, she that is was true. great. Just wanted the first I want to see kids. what happened with them kids. I know. The ones that survived that Baby Yoda didn't eat. <laughs> the frog kid is going to be force sensitive. I mean, oh. Awesome. Oh, when she was I... hopping away from the spider. My God. That, that was... was fucking amazing. <laughs> and you know it. Amazing. Yeah, dude. Oh, it was absolutely amazing. She got down. Literally, we screamed, oh, my God. She's like a frog. I have chills. <laughs> I have chills. Dude, I'm telling you, she's coming back. If not, one of those frog kids will be back in this series. Fingers crossed. I'm going to give, again, I'm going to give this episode 12 out of 12, and just a quick reasoning why that and the heiress will get those ratings is because those two times I felt something that no other episode has given me, and it's like those Star Wars moments, like those moments when you're in sitting in a theater, first time, midnight, opening night, whatever you want to call it, when you're finally getting to see that movie you've been waiting for for three years, and you get these moments. And I think The Last Jedi out of the new trilogy had the most of those moments, specifically when um, they uh, crashed the ship into the other ship later uh, at the end of the at the end of the film, where they go into uh, light speed into the other ship, and, the, and it goes silent, right? Those moments happen in, in the heiress and and of course in this episode too. Just beginning with that opening shot that we keep referencing of of those two lightsabers turning on and just uh, a shitstorm being rain upon these people. 
there were so many moments in this episode that I just was like, oh my god, like imagine seeing this in the theater. This would have been fucking awesome, right? Like that's that's why I would give this twelve out of twelve. I, part of me wishes like when movies are back, when theaters we can go, that this show gets just like, all right, guys, we're just gonna put them all together. Ooh. I'd do into it. Like a, a marathon? Into a, a cinematic experience. That would be great. That'd be awesome. It'd be insane. Um, it'd be very long. Um, oh, yeah, that, yeah, obviously. But, but yeah, that's uh, that's our review of uh, The Mandalorian, and we're going to do a quick, again, lightning round of uh, just holiday music recommendations because right now, as we're recording this, it's about to be December 2nd, which is <gasps> crazy. Um. So close, so close to Bill's birthday. I hope he has a shot lined up. He's got, he's got it. There it is. There's the Jameson. He has but, a uh, bottle. I probably up. shouldn't. I have to work tomorrow. Su- exactly. Super <laughs> quick music recommendations. I don't care about my job. They don't listen um, to podcasts. I don't care. I, I will. I will start. Um, oh wait, wait, wait. Oh god damn it! Before this has a theory. <sighs> I can do it after the music the, round. That's no, fine. No. Ladies and gentlemen, the latest says. Uh, no, 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 no. Wait, I want to save this as bonus material. Okay, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna end the show and then we're gonna go an after credit. credit. Yeah, an after credit. Perfect. Thank you. Um, wow. Yes. Christmas uh, song recommendations for the holidays. Um, I'm gonna start real quick. Christmas lights by Coldplay is my favorite Christmas song of all time. Um, the first, I think it's like the first time in my like life too that like a Christmas song came out and it's become a Christmas song that has like stayed like, like I guess my generations uh, and my specific musical taste Christmas song that has kind of had longevity outside of just like, Oh, someone came out a Christmas song and then you never hear it again. Uh, the killers are kind of notorious for that. Sorry, sorry, cat, but very true. Um, true. 100%. Very, yeah. But yeah, yeah so Awesome killers. That's a whole yes. other podcast. But I love that song, so um, uh, I will go to Bill. Happy birthday, everybody! Happy birthday, Bill! Happy birthday, Bill! Happy birthday! Holy shit! He's our <sighs> king, and it is the day of his birth. Oh God! Oh, I wish I had a chaser for that one. <coughs> oh wow! Found a Are bottle we of doing tapes. shots? <laughs> wow! Like actually. Like balloons came up on Skype. I guess they knew it was my birthday. I did that. It weirdly, like, it's kind of creepy. After I said happy birthday to you, the little thing changed. It said, would you like to send a, like, react? I was like, oh, sure. Is Skype (laughs) listening? Everything is listening. Um, Thanks. uh, uh, I can get so emotional right now. But um, I think, like, for me, uh, I mentioned this before, uh, the season's upon us, literally and figuratively. It's Christmas season. Uh, it's my fa- one of my favorite times of year. Um, I love Christmas so much. And especially when I have a six-year-old who's very excited because we have an advent calendar, which is Nightmare Before Christmas Funko-based. So oh, she shit. Hyped. It was so awesome. I also have a four-layer cake that my mother-in-law made for me. I'm like, I can't eat any of this. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. So maybe, I, hopefully, I make it through December second. Um, my, but like I said, seasons upon us. It's a Dropkick Murphys song. It uh, is my. It's the, it's the fairy tale of New York uh, for me, minus all the terrible things that that song says. Um, it's about. 
the chaos and madness of families at uh, the holidays. And for me, I'll be a little more uh, since hey, it's my birthday. I'll be a little longer. It's my site and podcast. Um, is that we're not doing a pop break Christmas show this year. We usually do one to benefit the Asbury Park Toy Drive. We do it in front of the Christmas uh, tree. There's a 40 foot Christmas tree in Convention Hall of Asbury Park. Uh, we won't be doing that this year. Um, so I miss my family from there, from Pop Break. And, uh, you know, I don't see my mom this year uh, for Christmas. Although, you know, I'll see her from the street, I guess. But um, it just reminded me of family. Reminded me of my times visiting my families in the Bronx. It reminds me of my family now in South Amboy with my in-laws. And it's, you know... It's about whiskey and beer and asshole relatives and just the chaos and joy that Christmas brings. And it's not as raucous and rowdy as a Dropkick Murphy's song would usually be, but it embodies that Irish punk spirit in which I definitely imbibe in like a shot of Jameson that I just took. So that is why that is my Christmas song. It's not my favorite Christmas song. I'll do that on our holiday episode. Um, spoilers. We're going to do a holiday party episode or uh, like a, like a doctor who episode. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be t- doing that later. And uh, so that's my first Christmas song for our Christmas season podcast for Mando and music. Cat. Um, that was beautiful, Bill, and know that we all love you. Um, my, my Christmas pick is a new one. It came out not too long ago. You could, I was about to say you could buy it in stores now. I mean, I I guess you theoretically could, but you don't need to do that. It's on Spotify. Um, Andrew Bird, who I love, who is a very, uh, wispy, uh, violinist, uh, whistling man, uh, also, you could see him in the most recent season of Fargo. He's the wispiest one on screen. You'll know it's him. Um, <laughs> he put out uh, a Christmas album called Hark, and it's fantastic and wonderful. There are some uh, classic Christmas covers like White Christmas and Old Lang Syne and a few other ones. But my favorite song is Night's Falling. The music video for it is wonderful. I love it um, because they're wonderful Christmas songs, but aren't hacky and uh, have like uh, overuse of sleigh bells and uh, all the things that could happen in classic Christmas songs. It feels like Christmas Christmas music for adults, and um, it really gets you in the wintry spirit. So I recommend Andrew Bird's uh, recent album called Hark. Ken Graham Pierre, what do you got for us, pal? Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would like to recommend a Christmas song that uh, a friend of mine made, Tim, and um, his ex-girlfriend Emmy, uh, Tim Wheeler and Emmy the Great, and it's called uh, "Zombie Christmas," and it's essentially a Christmas song about you being at a house of your friends and then zombies attack, and it happens to be Christmas. So, quite different, bit fun. It's quite, uh, yeah, it's a fun track, fun, like, kind of, like, like poppy, punky track, and I would highly recommend that one as a good holiday track to start. And if you aren't that keen into it, then, you know, just put on the old Phil Spector classic winter holiday classics, you know, those are great. 
even though Phil Spector, you know, convicted murderer, but you know, who cares? Just ignore that part. That part. Should we? <laughs> I think I don't think we should. Lucas, I know you have a great Christmas recommendation. I do not celebrate nor recognize the Christmas holiday until 12 <laughs> days before. I celebrate Festivus on the 21st. That's right. I celebrate Christmas beginning. I I I flip the switch on Christmas spirit on December 13th. I have no more Christmas spirit to give before that. Um, so I'm not listening to Christmas music yet. Uh, I'm still listening to uh, Gojira of all bands because Gojira put out another track called Another World. And it's everything Gojira does well, which is whatever they decide to do because they've done heavy. They've done death metal. They've put out an album about traveling through space to find an ancient race of whales, and it was incredible. They are French environmentalist technical death metal, and I missed them in Maine in August because of this stupid pandemic, and I'm going to go see them again in August, maybe one show, probably all ten, and just follow them around like the groupies of old. Um, But go listen to Another World. It's great. If you're like me and you're waiting on Christmas – there's still no music coming out that doesn't have sleigh bells in it. God damn it, Lucas. Wow. You had uh, me at whales. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit, I saw that Doctor Who episode. Uh, that Star Trek movie. Yeah. Fuck, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, Al, um, am I taking over hosting duties? I guess that's the end of the episode. No, because Ken didn't get to go. Yes, he did. You weren't paying attention. Yes. Ooh. He talked about he talked Brutal. about Zombie Christmas by Tim Wheeler and Emmy the Great. Yeah, it, it sounds like a song that like, Edgar Wright would make a movie about. Like, it sounds fucking yeah, cool. that actually God. does. Um, yeah, life were fair. That's my that's my B, and I think it's a great time to end this one. Uh, although I love spending so much time with you uh, four individuals so much, um, but we will do our normal plugs and then we will GTFO. Uh, Bill, where can people find you? Yeah, I started with you. Oh, well, you should. Birthday day. So I am at BodkinWrites, W-R-I-T-E-S, where I'm mostly tweeting about stuff about wrestling and also trying to be like, hey, be nice to people. Support people. Donate to great charities. You know, tweeted something about celebrating Elliot Page, which is super cool. Like, let's... Get behind people doing great things in the world, especially during the shittiest year ever. Um, but uh, also, you can check us out on thepopbreak.com. Uh, we're posting every single day about movies, music, television, uh, our brand new section, Digital Trends, where I will be interviewing the uh, creator of the Disney Food Blog uh, YouTube page because that is my comfort food during the worst year ever looking at sweets that I cannot eat uh, at Disney. And also uh, check out at popbreak.com on Twitter forward slash popbreak.com on Facebook at the popbreak on Instagram. We're going to be actually reposting starting today, uh, December 2nd. I'm going to be reposting all the concerts we shot in 2020 to remind everyone, Hey, concerts are great. We have awesome photographers on the site, including Al, including Kat and Ken is a great concert photographer as well. He doesn't shoot for popbreak. Uh, yet, I guess. I don't know. If you wanted to, he could. Um, not, no pressure, Ken. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> no, literally. It's just, whatever. Uh, if you ever need us, we're here. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, there's like for me personally on the site, I'm going to be re- writing about season three of Ducktales. I'm going to be writing about the IMDb original, quote unquote, original series. Alex Ryder. Um, also going to be writing about the Bluey Christmas special happening <laughs> in December, which is going to be great. By the way, Bluey books are now available on Shoprite. Go get them. And uh, yeah, I've got a couple other things I'm going to be. Yeah, I know. I wish Bluey was paying me. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I'll be, uh, writing about a couple other things as well. I'm sure I'll be doing podcasts about AEW and other wrestling stuff. So this is what I do. Cat. Uh, people can find me on Instagram at cat goes to shows. You can also find me on Twitter at cat underscore wild. That's cat with a K and wild with an E at the end. Um, and I have that same handle for Letterboxd, um, which I am updating all the time. Really fun site if people haven't used it, if you would like to see and share movie opinions. And sometimes they have show things on there, too. I don't know if they have Mandalorian, but they have some other shows and some like limited series. Um, yeah, you could find me at those places. And Kat, of course, has the Mandalorian review on the pop break, which is already there. And we'll have a great piece on the Grammys, which will be running at some point this week, probably before this podcast comes out. Ken, where can people find you and your podcast, The New Exchange with Ken Grant Pierre? You thank you very much. That was very well said. You, you can find me on both Instagram and Twitter at Kenami Photo. That is K-E-N-A-M-I Photo. Spelt the American way, not the European way. Yes, I said it. And you can catch the New Exchange podcast which is a really great podcast that I run. Season one wrapped up recently, and season two will be kicking off in February of 2021. But be sure to check out all the old episodes, because I'm pretty sure you'll love them. Because why wouldn't you? You're a lovely right. person, aren't you? <laughs> Lucas. Well, you can find me in three places. Um, <laughs> can we? <laughs> you, can, you can find me on Twitter, where I will not apologize for my opinions about New Jersey. Uh, at L Jones 1138. You can find me on Instagram uh, where all my cooking and beer related adventures at brew down Selly with a C. And if you're interested in hockey, you can follow me at the underscore Dan K show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That is the Dan K show, a show that I started with a friend of mine from middle school, high school, and beyond. We talk about junior hockey, college hockey, and uh, we'll go wherever hockey's being played because hockey is not allowed to be played many places right now. Yeah, so it looks like the Dank Show, but it's the Dan K Show. We're we're yeah. leaning into it. We we were originally very suspect about it, but now that like weed's totally cool, it's uh, we're leaning it's into always, it. It's always been totally cool. Um, you can find me at Al Manorino on Twitter and Instagram, Twitter, uh, reposting any everything and anything dog related. And then Instagram. Or Chips the related. Or Chips the Mall. He's a great writer. And uh, we got to get him on the show. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Should. Um, Instagram, I'm trying to be better, trying to post more. I just posted a picture of my son for his two-year-old, two, two-year birthday. Happy birthday, Parker. Um, when you hear this in 20 years, for some reason. Um, oh, man, that's weird. All right. That's a great place, great place to end that. Um, well, thank you guys all so much for joining. 
Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we have a few more episodes of this, so if you guys have been skipping over these Mando episodes or waiting till you finish the show, totally understand. But uh, stay tuned. We are going to have a holiday episode that Bill and I are concocting or throwing together at the last minute. Number two. Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, but again, two. thank you so much. Thank you guys for joining. Have a lovely day. But wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, what's this? Wait, the top rope. <laughs> Pepe Sylvia. Uh, uh, so we were theory. we were told that mm-hmm. Lucas P. Jones has a crack pot theory that we wanted to save as a Marvel Cinematic Universe tribute. Uh, Lucas is mad early in the morning, so just hit us with your theory, and we'll discuss. Well, thank you guys for sticking around. It's been a longer evening than we anticipated, uh, but I hope to enthrall you with my beautiful mind or Charlie Kelly style um, diatribe. Number two. It's always number two. (laughs) So the Mandalorian has been putting up a lot of different pieces of the Star Wars lore, and this most recent episode was one of the deepest. Um, We were getting – we got references to Grand Admiral Thrawn. who is a finder of artifacts. We got references to Tython, which is a planet where the Jedi race originated, um, where the first practitioners of the Jedi and Sith orders originated, um, where the first Jedi temple exists and where Mando is currently heading with baby Yoda. So, Now let's go back to the most recent episode. In this episode, we saw that the Magistrate had two assassin droids, HK-87s, which are the advanced versions of the HK-47, which, for those of you who played Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, was the assassin droid. Which was Ken, apparently. That was the assassin droid that you recruited for your journey. Who created the HK-47s? Darth Revan who, in Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, you play as a memory-wiped version of him trying to regain his Jedi powers. Where does he start his journey? On Tython. So, here's what's going to happen. Grand Admiral Thrawn has a Sith hologram that contains the essence of Darth Revan. We know this because Darth Revan's uh, Revan's troopers were the inspiration for the... Um, for Kylo Ren's uh, Sith Squadron in uh, Rise of Skywalker. Darth Revan and his holocron will be featured in Season 2 or Season 3 of The Mandalorian, and Darth Revan will attempt to turn a newly Force-powered Baby Yoda to the dark side, and that will be your Season 2 cliffhanger. <laughs> oh my god! Did, did, you, did you say the phrase Sith hologram at one point? Sith holocron. Um, for, for, uh, so the holocron is the method by which Jedi and Sith store their life essence, but it's like a, a teaching device. Um, in the Clone Wars, Darth Maul seeks out the Sith holocron of, oh boy, I can't remember who it is. Um, but seeks out Sith holocrons to try to increase his power to eventually try to fight Palpatine. Um, so that is exactly what I think will happen. But I think you will definitely see Darth Revan. And you want to know what the nail in the coffin is? Do you want to know? The hero finisher move. The rumored next trilogy out of Disney 
is a Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic trilogy. Mm. <laughs> but, but what about, what about Gus Fring? What about him? He's only popped up like once this season, and I keep thinking it's all going to lead to him. That motherfucker's <laughs> dying, yo. <laughs> <laughs> it all, it all revolves around Gus. That I want to see. Really I want to see. I want to see a Bo Katan, Moff Gideon fight. I think that'd be dope. I mm-hmm. Oh, happen. and that's the other thing that I completely forgot is that the man, the Mandalorians, and the Jedi sworn enemies since the last Jedi Sith conflict, which was started by the disciples and the descendants of Darth Revan. So I think you're going to end up seeing the Mandalorians and the Jedi reconcile themselves to fight the new threat of the Empire and the resurgent Sith. That'd be right. That I can see. As my oldest niece would say, that slaps. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, the other stuff, man, that is fucking... Wow. I didn't have enough to really process all that. I have read too many books. I see that. What what about... um, what about Django Fett and how he's secretly still alive? How does yeah, he Yeah, that's this? the thing. People think he's secretly <laughs> well, still alive. So that's, that's Boba Fett. Him. Or well, sorry, Bo- yeah. Boba Fett is what I meant. clone of. Yeah, I don't really know what they're going to do with that. I feel like they introduced that, and that's going to be like a weird thing. The only thing I can think of is that eventually, <laughs> eventually they're going to come back to Tatooine for some reason, but... At this point in the universe, nothing of importance is happening there. So I don't know. I, who knows? I, 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 I with, I'm with Cat on that. Like you don't introduce that in season in episode one of the new season. Don't come back to that before the end of the the series. This mm-hmm. season, I should say. Well, something that's compelling with Boba Fett from the old EU stuff, and it'll be interesting to see if they re-energize it here. Is that even though Jango Fett and Boba Fett wore Mandalorian armor. They were seen as outsiders because of how they operated. I mean, Jango Fett was raised as a Mandalorian, and he raised Boba Fett with, like, Mandalorian kind of principles. But Mm -hmm. actual Mandalorians didn't see them as being the same as them. So I think, considering what happened to Boba Fett and his notoriety, and also, like, uh, how he, like, went to the Sarlacc and how he probably has PTSD from that, I can almost envision a world where he interacts with other Mandalorians, maybe even, like, Mm -hmm. a Bo-Katan. And they see Boba Fett as like a bastardized version of what they're supposed to be. Doesn't Boba Fett make a play for the the throne of Mandalore in the expanded universe? He does, and it's a, it causes big friction between the Mandalorians because some of them are like, "Hey, this dude's so famous," and other ones are like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" So it could God, make sense damn, because you've there's got so many layers. You've got Moff Gideon who has the dark saber, Bo-Katan who wants the dark saber and is the rightful ruler, Boba Fett who makes a play as essentially. The Donald Trump of the Mandalorians, and then <laughs> well, I don't the, like the, that phrase. Yeah, well, he's he's the outsider who's not really a part of them, who just tries to be popular and well known and does his thing. Yeah, um, it's like game. It's like so. Game. Really, really, the whole thing about this is once you resolve the Jedi subplot and have to team up with the Mandalorians, you have to figure out who is the rightful heir. And as we know from Game of Thrones, it goes to the person with the best story. So fuck all the plot development. We'll just you know. It's 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 game game of Beskar. <laughs> so if that's true, if that's true, then it goes to the Frog Woman. Like I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> Hands I mean, down. Cat, Dude, first off, you would carry him up would, there. 
gives a shit about everyone, will sacrifice <laughs> herself, and but also practices self care in the uh, face of danger, as we saw in her spa moment. A, t- uh, a self care spa moment is completely necessary. Well, yes, it is. As if pan- if this pandemic has pr- proven anything, self care essential. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Good night, idiots. 